and welcome to the latest podcast of the DBSG, which stands for the Discipleship Bible Study Group. Uh, you're here with Brother Rob and with Brother Fred. Say hello, Brother Fred. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back. And uh, we are the podcast that looks at the word, the scripture sent to us from God, and we're interpreting it through many ways, including science and technology. And, and uh, so today we are going to look at um, the birth of Jesus and, you know, some of the origins and some of the circumstances around that and how that applies today to some of the things that we're seeing and experiencing. Um, this uh, Bible study group focus today is one that is very important as we look at the changes in time and we're seeing uh, new things, coronavirus and, you know, several other things that are new to our world and new to us in terms of our experience. And uh, the importance of them is to look at these things and say, how can we apply what we know from the word to what we're seeing today and so that we have the proper response to what it is we're experiencing. So with that said, I'm going to hand it over to Brother Fred, who's going to tell us more about the birth of Jesus. Amen, amen. I want to first give thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we're coming up on uh, Easter weekend very soon. It's just right around the corner, and I just want to give thanks to our Lord and Savior for being our everything to our nothing. And he is the great I am, the great creator, the master of all. He's, he's everything to us. And we love you, Father God, and we thank you for this beautiful opportunity to present your message. So we're going to start with the birth of Jesus. And we had spent really a whole podcast um, talking about Jesus himself. And one of, one of those things was the birth of uh, Jesus, debunking the December 25th date that we've all been given. And I'm going to touch up on that very lightly. And then after that, we're going to go into the death, then the resurrection of Jesus, because all three are crucial, crucial, crucial to Jesus's mission and God's plan for all of us, for the, for the redemption of all of our souls so that we can be pure and whole and with God forever. So with that being said, let's talk about the uh, birth of Jesus. And you know, we, we were given the uh, December 25th narrative. And uh, one of the things that Brother Rob and I were discussing on a, on a recent podcast was how the, um, when the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, um, it was easier for the newly formed church to understand and, and celebrate their pagan observance of the winter solstice between, well, that was that December 17th through the 25th, since the citizens was already, you know, prepared to celebrate that day. And, it, you know, that, that was a festival that was earmarked with merrymaking and families and friends would exchange gifts, which is our, today, our traditional Christmas um, practice. But that doesn't, you know, that paganism behind that doesn't make much sense when you really look at the Bible. The Bible gives some clear illustrations what was going on. You just have to, you know, do, do some diving in the spirit, let the Holy Spirit guide you. 
So let's look into some reasons as to why Jesus was not born on December 25th. And listener, I'm letting you know now, if you want to continue to celebrate on December 25th, as long as you're remembering Jesus, who he really was, who he really is, what he is to us, I'm sure he won't mind. I'm just giving you the truth of what I found in the word, okay? All right, so there's two things you got to look at. The first thing is a registration. So shortly before Jesus was born, uh, who was it? Augustus Caesar had a, some sort of decree about uh, the, inhabit the inhabitants on the earth being registered. So it sort of, sort of sounds like something we have today, right? With your birth certificate and everything. Everyone had to register in their city or town or whatever they called their little thing back then. And sometimes you having to register at a certain location may have required you to travel for up to a week. We're not talking about jumping into your Cadillac or your BMW and driving for 30 minutes and sitting in line in an air-conditioned car while you're waiting. We're talking about having to jump on the back of a mule or if you're real poor, having to walk just to make that journey. And it had to do with everything with taxation and the mil what the military was doing, supported the military. So think about it. Would Caesar, Augustus, have had people doing this during the winter? Probably not. The winter is too cold, too harsh. So that's one of the things that kind of debunks a December timeline. When uh, And it talks about this Caesar doing these things in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 if you want to look it up for yourself so that's the scripture supporting what i'm just talking about the but second also would would you how would you answer those who feel you know that region doesn't really have like a you know, if you're if you're in rome or in greece or in um you know the middle east are you experiencing a winter you know or is the weather different during that time you know of our world or you know how do you address that well, if, if you look at Israel right now, Israel's mm -hmm. temperatures do drop during the winter. Not like here in New York or in New Jersey where you get a foot of snow like we just got and, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, 20 degree temperatures with wind chill of two. Um, right. Their temperatures may be in the, in the 50s or 60s when in the summertime it may be in the 80s. You know, that 20 to 30 degree temperature drop if you talk to a Floridian, they'll understand what I'm about to say or somebody that lives in, uh, uh, out, out in, the, in the west in the desert, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, those type of places that they notice the difference when it starts to get cold. I mean, think about it. Uh, Florida this winter uh, at one point had temperatures that were very similar to ours in the 40s. So you may get some cold days, some cold winters where it may drop into the 50s and the 40s. And that changes things in countries like that, which leads me to my second point, which is the sheep, the sheep themselves. So it talks about how the shepherds were in the field tending the flock when Jesus was born, right? The shepherds, and this is in Luke 2, chapter 8, where it talks about the shepherds were living out of doors and keeping watches in the night over their flocks. Would they have been doing that in the wintertime? No, because the flocks lived in the open air from the week uh, before Passover, which is late March through mid-November. 
All right, so late March, around Passover time through mid-November. After that, they're kept indoors. So there would be no shepherds in the field tending to the flocks because the flocks would be in a stable, in a barn, or someplace else where they can keep warmer. So those two things kind of alludes to the fact that Jesus may not have been born in December like we think. Now, I'm about to really blow your mind, listener, because I'm going to throw some hard evidence at you right now. All right. Those are things you can kind of listen to and say, oh, well, you know, hoo-ha, okay, maybe not. Oh, well, okay. But I'm going to throw some, some information at this. Let's look at the psychology of it. And that's one of the things that the DBSG does very well. We look at science and psychology to, you know, support the word of God. So John the Baptist, which was Jesus's cousin, um, his preaching took place during the uh, 15th year of the reign of, uh, I believe it was Tiberius. Uh, Jesus's proximate age at the time of his ministry, and most of us would agree, was at the age of 30. Uh, this is also in the book of Luke where it talks about that. That's Luke uh, 3.1. It talks about that. So this would, we can determine that Christ was born likely around 2 to 3 B.C., now, let's look at another point here. We can approximate the approximate month of Jesus' birth to be around the time of Tishri. Tishri is mid to late September. And to get to that date, you started the conception of John the Baptist, his cousin, which was in Sivan, June. Count forward six months to arrive at Gabriel's announcement of the conception of Jesus, which was Kislev, December. If you count forward nine more months, the time it takes for a human gestation, if Mary went through the full gestation and there's nothing in the Bible that says she didn't, you're going to reach Tishri, which is in September. So Jesus was born in either late August or September up to Tishri, for that, uh, those years I gave you. We're going to talk more later. I'm going to tie everything together. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, exactly the way Brother Rob gave it to you, to let you know the importance in our day and age as to why God, our God, is a master architect. No one does it like God. God has been controlling the whole universe from when he first conceived it all the way up until now. Nobody, what, what, what's the word I used before, Brother Rob? Multitask. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody multitasks like God. Okay, most no people can barely handle picking up the kids, cooking dinner, checking homework. Oh, the boss is called. He had a question about that account. <laughs> and they're losing their mind. Imagine having to juggle the whole universe at the same right. And everything is, and God is on top of everything. Always. Okay? <laughs> on top of everything. I didn't say monitor the whole universe. I said control the whole universe. To monitor means you have to learn something about the process that's occurring so you know what decision to make. Well, God has never learned anything. That's something we discuss at an, on, a, on another podcast. God knows everything. He's the great orchestrator. He, and Jesus is the great general because what God says, Jesus makes it happen. Amen. Amen.
pondering that. Still taking it all in. <laughs> yeah. Trying to imagine how cold it can get in those regions, you know, that we're talking about in this new calendar that you're throwing at me. And the listener as well. So during the winter, they were they were in the forties and the fifties, uh, doing part of the winter. So mm-hmm. matter of fact, well, today, no, they they recently had some unusual weather. So it's oh, certainly yeah. possible. Very unusual. Right now, it's forty six degrees in Jerusalem. Well, what time is it there too? Isn't it nighttime? Well, it's seven. It's seven hours ahead of us. So it's five o'clock. Which will be? There. No, it would be about three a.m. Three a.m. Okay, mm-hmm. so 3 a.m. is 46 degrees, and it's mid-March. So back in February, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cold, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cold, all right? And their high, their high was 48, lowest 39. So if you think about it, their temperatures is pretty similar to ours. So next, let's talk about the death of Jesus. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' whole life, Everything he did was important from his, from even way before he was born in the Old Testament, who foretold of our king coming, the preparation was being made, the groundwork was being laid in man through, from God, through man, through great uh, kings like Dawood, David, Abraham, uh, Moses, and others who were foretelling of the King of Kings coming to walk amongst us one day. So even during creation itself, God was already making plans to send his son here for our salvation. Amen. So God has always been way ahead of everything that's been occurring in his creation. So when Jesus was born, I'm sure as a little boy, and I saw the movie, of Jesus when he was a young young kid to a young man. And even then he was going about his father's work. He was, as a young kid, you know, four, five, six, seven years old, making dead butterflies come back to life in this movie. In other words, he was practicing his powers that he was going to use later. What God wanted him to do, he made sure his skills were sharpened and he was ready to rock and roll. But the death of Jesus was one of the most horrible things that ever could have happened to a human being. We, we all, if you live long enough on this planet, have heard or seen or know about or read about um, somebody that was brutally uh, maimed, uh, mortally maimed, killed in horrible fashions and whether it be a baby or a woman or even a man that made you sick to your stomach you just it enraged you you were highly upset and it also saddened you at the same time for any believer of jesus the Gospels, his ministry, and God himself, we should all bow our head in resignation whenever, whenever we think about the death of Jesus. No one died more horribly than our Lord, King, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he did not deserve 
the punishment that he got. He committed no sin. He committed no crime. He was born perfect. Everything Jesus did while he was here, he did it perfectly the way God wanted him to do it. Perfectly the way God wanted him to do it. But God loved us so much. This is John 3, 16. God loved us so much. And he knew that we were going to fall when he was first creating us. He loved us so much. He already had a plan in place to send his son as the sacrificial lamb for all of our sins. So Jesus uh, arrived in town. He arrived in um, Jerusalem during Passover to celebrate Passover. And it was during that uh, time period, the Sunday, the Sunday uh, prior to his arrest, uh, our Lord came into the city. And this is known as the, I think it's called the triumphal entry. And this is in um, Mark eleven nine, 9, where they foretold of our Lord coming, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So people there knew our Lord and Savior was coming, probably foretold by the, uh, the great prophets. And this all occurred during the um, Roman emperor. Who was the Roman emperor back then? I think it was the reign of Tiberius, who's the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate, who we all know was the governor of uh, Judea. And Herod was the tetrarch of uh, Galilee. And the high priests at the time were Annas and Cephas. And this is all in Luke 3, 1 through 2. So Tiberius reigned from 14 to approximately 37 AD. And he was the second emperor after uh, Caesar Augustus. So to put, put a little timeline there, and this is all coming from the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 3, right around that area. So Jesus was arrested and tried on a Thursday. How do you know it's a Thursday? Because if you subtract from when he, he arose, when he was resurrected, mm -hmm. and go backwards. Yeah. Um, then the math of that leads you, to, leads you to Thursday. It's always interesting to apply how we apply our calendar and time frame to the past. Because you never, well, I should say you should never know. But sometimes you, you have to you're not sure if you're if the time frame is the same as how we're observing it and uh, putting it into our context. So. Well, what was so, so amazing uh, is how they gave him such a speedy trial. Remember when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, it was in the evening when this, the soldiers came for him uh, because the apostles had fallen asleep while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And he came out and chastised them like, can't you stay awake <laughs> for a little while? Because he knew it was about to happen to him. And right around that time was when the soldiers came and arrested him. From the time he was arrested, he was tried that night and hung on the cross the, the morning at Golgotha the next morning. Okay which is a skull-shaped hill outside the city. And whenever they did crucifixions, they never did it in the city. They did it outside the city on a big hill so that everybody could see the person being crucified. And to the right. Romans, crucifixion was the most horrible, disgusting way you could kill someone. They didn't even like to talk about crucifixion. It was a nasty word in their uh, language that they didn't even want to talk about it. Thursday. Thursday. First thing mm -hmm. in the morning, that first thing in the morning, it was the third hour, actually. Now, how, does, how do the, the Jews tell time? 
when they say third hour, they're, they're basically saying three hours after the sun rises. Okay. So if the sun rises at 6 a.m., that means that Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning. And that goes back to Mark 15, 25, where it says, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. Mm-hmm. In Luke 23, 41, around the sixth hour, something amazing happened. And this is the craziest thing. The whole earth responded to the crucifixion and death of Jesus, the whole earth. There was earthquakes all over, right there in that land. It was three hours of darkness at the, um, I believe it was the ninth hour, which makes it, um, yeah, noon to three. The ninth hour, noon to three, there was darkness all over the land. You're talking about what would make darkness occur. Now, scientifically, there was probably a great eclipse, but what eclipse do you know of that lasts for three hours? We all saw the one that occurred a couple years ago when, you know, it rose up and it was like darkness in our area for like uh, all across the U.S. It went across the U.S. and the great eclipse. And it lasted in our area for what, 10, 15 minutes? Right. <laughs> then it was gone, right? Right. You're talking about in one area on the globe where it was darkness for a full three hours like night darkness okay if you want to look at it scientifically god had to do something amazing in second heaven which is outer space to black out the sun for three hours and only god has that power to do that i know in our past lessons we've used or we were able to chart the position of the stars on certain dates you know are there mechanisms out there to chart if there was, in fact, a, an eclipse that took place during that time or <clears throat> if there was something going on with the alignment of the planets during that time period? Or is that too far to record? Well, you, for, for a three-hour eclipse to occur, mm-hmm. I'm guesstimating you would probably have to have something in space that's huge. saturn size, Jupiter... Something that would go between us and the sun to be able to block it out. Maybe it was Jupiter, because after all, Jupiter in second heaven is the king planet representing Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, right? So it would not surprise me if we go back and did some research on that. Um, Listener, please do, all right? And feel free to respond to the podcast in the comment section and let me know if it was Jupiter that may have been between us and the sun uh, on the time period that we were talking about uh, that may have caused a really the sun an eclipse for three hours. I mean, that is huge. Also at that time period when Jesus died. Okay. So that was three hours from noon to three. There was three hours. And at the time of Jesus's death, the earth shook. They said the rocks were split. That's Matthew 27, 51. And this is what really baked my noodle. Uh, Brother Rob, there was a veil that hung in a temple in Israel that separated the most innermost section. They call it the holiest of holies. And this veil was there because the presence of God would be on the other side of the veil to protect Mm. man from getting too close because we were impure. So we couldn't get past that veil and that was if you were pure of heart if you weren't one of the holy 
um, priests. You couldn't even go into the temple without dying if your heart wasn't right. But that veil was there to protect even the holiest of priests from God. When that great earthquake occurred, something interesting happened in that temple. The veil that was hung there tore and fell to the ground. It tore and fell to the ground. Why is that crucial? Think about it. Because Jesus now became the go-between between us and God with his death. Right. So there was no longer a need for a veil between God our Father and man because Jesus became that veil with his sacrifice. Okay. Amen. Oh, my God. No, no. That's heavy duty. <laughs> That's heavy duty. <laughs> he paid the price for our sin, mankind. So there was no need for a veil anymore. Isn't that good news? I mean, somebody should be happy about that right now. I'm happy, <laughs> right? <laughs> because man could now come directly to God for repentance through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more lately, later, in a few minutes, that is, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I just think it's interesting to see, uh, you know, how things progressed, you know, when we're looking at it you know, with the additional information beyond what's in the Bible. So it's great to just take it all in. Amen. So, listener, why did Jesus die for us? Well, let's go straight to Romans 3, 20 through 26. See, I'm, I'm going straight. I'm going to dig into the Gospels because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, we're digging into the Gospels now. We're digging into the meat, okay? So Romans uh, 3, 20 through 26 says, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Romans 3, 23 says, for all, which means every man, every woman, every child has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. 24, and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So God's grace through the redemption sacrifice that his son, Jesus Christ, made for us. Jesus willingly gave his life for us so that we can live. Now, I'm going to throw some psychology out at you, listener. Jesus, God told his son to go be the sacrificial lamb, to suffer greatly. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was chastised. He was mocked, flogged, whatever you could possibly do to a human outside of breaking his bones. Jesus did not have a broken bone. I'm going to tell you why in a second. Even when he was hung on the cross, he did not have a broken bone. Not one. 
You know, he didn't even on the cross, he didn't have a broken bone. Then he had to carry his own cross. Well, first they nailed him to the crossbar, which had to be painful because you know, the nails, we're not talking about no little tiny nail you use in the, in the dry board of your house type nail. We're talking about probably railroad, railroad spike type nails, right? Because they had to be strong enough so that the weight of your body when you were hanging on the cross wouldn't come, you wouldn't fall out. It wouldn't fall out and release you. Right. So, and your hands are the, one of the most sensitive areas on your body. These spikes were driven through Jesus's hand. And let me tell you something. Jesus moaned, he whimpered, he cried out. But Jesus, when he was being flogged, beaten, chastised, teased, mocked, did not utter one word. He's the king of kings. He didn't mutter not one word. Why? Because Jesus loves us that much that he wanted to make sure he did not interrupt or change anything that they were doing to him. Jesus wanted to feel the full effect of what those men were putting him through, these Romans, soldiers, and whoever they were, were putting him through because he loves us that much, okay? He loves us that much. Oh, you know a little scripture. You heard him say, Master, why can't this cup be passed from me? There's a reason why Jesus asked for the cup to be passed for him, from him. Think about it. We're going back to psychology again now. Psychology 101. The Father and the Son are so close that they're one. But yet, God, Jesus in the flesh, came and lived among mortal man because we can relate to Jesus in a way as a human, you can never relate to God. God is that big, omnipresent, omniscient, perfect. But we can relate to Jesus. We can see Jesus sweat. We can see Jesus toil. We saw Jesus when he was here, when he was tired. We saw Jesus when he cried. We saw Jesus when he tore up the marketplace because they were cheating people there uh, in the marketplace. So we, see, we saw the human side of Jesus that makes him relatable to us. But he wanted the cup to be passed from him, not because of his human side of him, which is the reason why I would want the cup passed from me. Brother Rob may want the cup passed from him. You listener may not want to die that horrible death either. But Jesus didn't want to die that horrible death for a different reason. Jesus knew that the only way, are you listening to me, listener, I uh, hear, the only way that he could die is for his father to turn his back on him. God had to turn his back on Jesus. At some point, God had to turn his back on his son, which allowed all of sin for all of mankind to enter Jesus's body. And he took the full weight of sin. God put the full weight of sin on his son's capable shoulders out of love. 
Now, listener, Brother Rob, well, Brother Rob just got married, so he don't have one of these yet. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. But listener, for you, those of you who have kids, would you sacrifice your child to have your child flogged, beaten, whipped, mocked, nailed to a cross, have to drag the cross through the city while still being beaten with a crown on your head of thorns, mocking our Lord and Savior to save the world. Most of you are too You know, most of you are too (laughs) selfish to give up $100 when your neighbor comes over asking for help. I know you ain't going to give up your kid, but God did this. Jesus did this. He didn't want to be separated from his father, not one second, not one second. But for that one second, God did have to turn his back on his son to make God's plan complete. And at that moment, Jesus took sin, our sin, listener, away from us, even though we're still sinful creatures, onto his shoulders. So that if you believe in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. What do I mean by perish? Perish doesn't mean your body physically die. You're born, you live 75 years, you're dead. No, I'm talking about your soul. Your soul, your soul moves on. But where? Okay, I'm not going to get into that, but there's a heaven and there's a hell. So I talked about how the Roman crucifixion, um, if the Romans would have had their way, the... Old Testament scriptures would not have been correct because if you go back to the Passover lamb, now we're, we're going back to Moses' time when during the um, final plague of Egypt, God said that the first, through Moses, that the firstborn child, male, would be sacrificed, would be killed throughout the entire land for every male child. And that was including the Israelites, the entire land, what the Israelites did, they took a sacrificial lamb and they slayed it and they put the blood on their door the way God told them to do it. And when the avenging angel came through, he passed over those doors and went on. Who was the sacrificial lamb, the ultimate sacrificial lamb for us? The blood of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus himself. So in keeping with the scripture, he could not have any broken bones. He had to be without blemish, which the, um, the Passover lamb was without blemish, and it couldn't have any broken bones. Jesus was perfect in every sense of the word, and he was already dead when the soldiers came by to break his legs or to bust up his body. Because crucifixion was a slow, agonizing, painful death. Sometimes it took more than 12 hours. Sometimes it may have taken more than a day. Where you're basically, and I'm going to break it down for you real quick, listener. I actually looked it up a few years ago where, um, I don't know if it was National Geographic or a private study that was done, but they made a um, video of it, of the crucifixion of Jesus. And one of the things that this scientist was talking about that was on there was what happens to the physical body when you're being crucified. 
So they nail Jesus's hand to both sides of the cross beam, the horizontal bar, and they nailed his feet, one on top of the other, to the um, vertical beam. But what's happening is your body is sagging the whole time, which means you can't catch your breath. So you're gasping for breath at a certain point. You may start out strong when you, when you first get put up there, but over the course of that day, day and a half, two days, however long you're up there, your body starts sagging and you can't catch your breath. And you're getting weaker and weaker. It is a slow, painful, agonizing death. But Jesus was dead before they came to break his legs because he had to be whole to be the sacrificial lamb. Amen. So we discussed you know, the birth and the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, and why did he die for us, and why it's important to believe in his death and resurrection. So let's talk about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Well, it answered uh, several things. It, 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 bring, it brought light and truth to several things. First, the resurrection is to um, show the immense power of God himself, how God conquered death. God is big conqueror of death. He, he has conquered death on so many levels through his son. Uh, when he was here on his mission, Jesus conquered death plenty of times. I don't know. I've lost track of how many people Jesus brought back to life. But the most telling to me was Lazarus. When Lazarus, Jesus could have brought Lazarus back from the dead as soon as he died, but Jesus purposefully waited until Lazarus' Lazarus's body started rotting before he brought him back to show the power that he had been given by his father. Amen. But, here's, but here's a thought. It didn't matter if Jesus could raise Lazarus. It didn't matter if Jesus could heal the lepers. It didn't matter if Jesus could cast out demons from those who were afflicted with them. If he couldn't raise himself up out of that grave, if he couldn't come back and defeat death himself, then it would have been a moot point. How many fallen heroes on this earth have we lost who were great generals, conquerors, president? kings did great things to help people but yet they died and it all threw us in a state of disbelief and shock and jesus would have been another one of those great leaders if you will that love god that if he didn't come back that's how we would have looked at him it happened to abraham it happened to noah it happened to lot it happened to Dawu, david it happened to all of them they all died and they didn't come back. They're in heaven, but they didn't come back to life. They weren't resurrected. Jesus had to be resurrected for that reason. Another reason is it proves the sinless and divine nature of God. And these are all things that are in the scripture. Another reason is that uh, the resurrection is important. It validates God and his purpose that was prophesied in the Old Testament that foretold of Jesus' suffering, his death, and his resurrection. All those things have to come true, had to, had to be true, had to be proven true. God is so all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, 
all everything that is good and pure and wholesome, wise beyond belief, that he's willing to put all of his word in the Torah and the Bible up as a litmus test. If one thing is wrong, then it's all wrong. Nothing that could be disproven to date. Amen. Amen. People say, oh, there was no great flood. Well, scientists have proven that there was a flood. Geologists have proven that. Archaeologists have proven that. They say, oh, there was no Noah's Ark. That's just one of them little fairy tales. Well, they found the Ark. They found remnants of the Ark. Oh, there was no Jesus, as, as you describe him, as this great king of, of God that came here to save man. He was just an ordinary man walking around on this planet that just happened to know holy things. Well, if you look at the Shroud of Turin, that was the shroud that was laid over Jesus. Now I'm going to throw some science at you. Scientists actually tested the shroud, and what they found out is Jesus' face was impregnated onto the shroud. And you say, well, how can a face be impregnated onto the shroud if the shroud was just covering him? It'd be like you laying on your bed and somebody just throws a light blanket over, a light you know, blanket or something over you. Why would your face be impregnated into that light? Like, uh, I, I would say more like your, um, like your light curtains, those curtains you could see through, right? Those, 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 those type of curtains, they lay that over you. Your face wouldn't be impregnated into that. You just laying there for a few days. But here's what happened. They said Jesus' face was etched, etched onto the shroud basically burnt onto the shroud. Well, how can Jesus' face and the outline of his body be burnt onto the shroud? It's very simply put. When Jesus dematerialized and went somewhere else, the energy of him either going or coming back, probably coming back, the energy from that is what burned his face into the covering. Amen. Wow. Because they said for that to occur, they didn't have the technology back then. So it was something that metaphysically happened that Jesus made happen himself. And trust me, listener, there is nothing concerning God that happens by chance. <laughs> so there's a reason why God wanted Jesus' face to be burnt into the shroud of Turin the way it did. I believe God allowed it to happen or made it happen so that we can find it today through our technology so that you, listener, will know that God is real. He does exist. His son, Jesus, exists. He died for our sins. He rose on the third day, 72 hours later. And then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God until the day he's going to return for his bride. John eleven twenty five says, and this is Jesus talking, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So if there's no resurrection, there is no life. If Jesus just went away and never came back, there is no eternal life. So Jesus had to be the prime example 
of you coming and you going. He is always the prime example. He's the prime example of how you should live your life, how your character should be, the things you should say, the things you should do. If you do everything, listen, the way Jesus did it, with the love of Jesus in your heart, with re great repentance, you, my friend, will see the face of God one day. And I'm going to be right there with you. Amen. And so is Brother Rob. <laughs> okay. Amen. <laughs> so he is life and death has no power over him because death is Satan. Death is Lucifer. Death is the devil. He comes to steal, maim, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give us life and life more abundantly like you've never had it before. So tying everything together, we talked about uh, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So why did God do all of it this way? Why did God put the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus on a timeline? And trust me, there is a timeline that is important. Our God has multiple reasons why he does everything. And I feel, because I can feel it in the spirit, if you look at the menorah, and I always tell people, when you want to know what's going on, what God is up to, um, look at the Jewish people, all right? Because where the Jews are going, that's where God is wanting man to head to. So let's look at the menorah, okay? The menorah itself. And on the menorah, there are four um, different pieces to the lampstand. And basically what has happened is God has used certain key events, Jesus' ministry and Jesus' return to this planet um, and his second coming. He's been fulfilling different branches of the menorah. So let's break it down and look at it. The very first one was when he died on the cross. That was Passover. That's the first branch of the menorah. The second one is the cleanliness from sin, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The third one was his resurrection. That was the Feast of First Fruits. The fourth one was Pentecost, which is the church age. So these are all springtime festivals. They're all Jewish festivals. They all occur in the spring. And these are things that were fulfilled by Jesus dying on the cross, the cleanliness of his sin, the resurrection, and then the beginning of the church, the official beginning of the church age. The final three, which have been unfulfilled to date. And this is why I know Jesus was not born in December, but in September. The next one to come up is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets corresponds to the harpazo, raptural, rapture. Depends on if you speak in Latin or Greek. And we know the rapture as believers in Christ, Christians. When Jesus returns in the clouds, the dead shall rise first with their uncorruptible, uncorruptible bodies. And those who are still alive who not only loved, repented, and believed in Jesus, but kept his commandments, will rise in the air to meet them in the twinkling of an eye. Now, a twinkle 
is faster than an eye can even blink. That is the next branch on the menorah. That's the Feast of Trumpets. Well, the Feast of Trumpets usually occur in September, which is around the same time Jesus was born. Now, listen up, listener. Pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. What better birthday gift when Jesus comes back to receive his bride, the church, the believers, the ones who kept his commandments for the last thousands of years, than to do it on Jesus' birthday, which is going to correspond to the Feast of Trumpets. So all you so-called Bible scholars who are predicting that the rapture is going to occur in the spring, is going to occur in December, is going to occur there, probably not. More than likely, it's going to be on the Feast of Trumpets. And Jesus made reference to that when he said, no man knoweth the day or the hour. But if you go into certain other scripture, it tells you it's up to kings and queens to seek the knowledge of God. And we would know the season in doing so. We may not know the exact day, but we know the season. But no man knoweth the day of the hour can also refer to this. Of all the other festivals, they're usually on a dedicated timeline of when they're going to occur. The one that's not on the dedicated timeline is the Feast of Trumpets. Why? Because it corresponds to when a certain moon takes place. They don't know when the moon is going to be in that particular position or phase until it occurs. That's why no man know of the day of the hour. When they know it, when they see it, they blow the shofar. We're now in the Feast of Trumpets. That, in my opinion, praise the Lord, is going to occur on Jesus' birthday. The Feast of Trumpets is going to align on the day that Jesus was born. God is basically allowing his son to come back and receive his bride and telling him happy birthday at the same time. Hallelujah. The next one after that is the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. Atonement for who? Who's atoning? Israel. The atoning is for Israel. Because after we leave, the bride, and we're in Daniel's timeline, the great tribulation time period, but Israel will come back to God by admitting that Jesus Christ was the great Messiah and not just a prophet. And that will, they're going to atone for their sins and they will be ushered back into the kingdom and, and the hand of God. And the last one is going to be the millennium, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the last one on the menorah to be fulfilled. So that's why, listener, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th. He was born, uh, I believe they said in Tishri, in September time frame. And he's going to receive us back as his people along that same time period. I think there was a lot for the listener to take into that. So, uh, but as always, it's, as always, it's always uh, interesting to see what the word looks like when you add science and psychology to it. So, uh, you know, in the, in additional, in the additional celebrations that you mentioned, those that we've already seen and those that have not happened yet. Uh, so, you know, it's always a great mystery, but, you know, one to, that's very interesting to always go over and to see how we can apply the lessons from that to our daily lives today. And, uh, you know, with that said, I think it's time to wrap up this session of, the uh, discipleship 
Bible study group. Uh, again, it's been great having you enlighten us with the, the various lessons, especially today about Jesus. Well, I just want yeah. to say um, uh, thank you for, um, you know, always being there to push me to be my best and to help me keep my, keep my thoughts clear. And you always interject at the right time to get me to think about something a little bit differently. And that's, that's a beautiful gift uh, that you have. And it, it, it's, it's all about God. It's all about God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's what, this, that's what it's always have been about. Uh, listener, is, it has nothing to do with us. We are foul, disgusting creatures that are sinful in nature. We're born with sin in us, and we are destined to death uh, because of what Adam, Adam did, Adam did, uh, and Eve. But um, God saved us through his son. And if you're willing to take the first step and admit that you are a sinful creature and give your life to God, accept the gospel, you are on your way. Amen. That's all it takes. Amen. It's nothing ex extraordinary. It's just admitting you are a sinful creature. You are not perfect. You can't do this on your own. You, I, you have to say, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. And when you do that, you become a new creature in God. And not a new creature like, you know, in the word reference of creature, but a new person, a new being. And with that said, I think uh, we'll uh, wrap up this podcast. And um, thank you very much, listener, for sharing your time and taking time to absorb the lessons that we're given today. And finally, Brother Fred, do you want to close us out in prayer? Yes, I'll, I'll be glad to. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us your words, not our words, your words, Father God, to pass on to anyone who's willing to listen, Father God. Your patience, love, and understanding goes far beyond any person can truly understand. Your love is deeper than the ocean. It is higher than the sky. Your mercy and kindness endureth forever, Father God. And we believe that, and we want that, and we need that, dear Lord. So continue to bless us, dear Lord. Continue to inspire us to take that first step so that you can do the rest, dear Lord. And we know there's going to be troubled times ahead, dear Lord. You said it yourself. It's in your words. But with great patience and poise and love, we're going to do it the way Jesus did it. When we, We're going to carry, we're going to, bear our cross. We're going to carry our cross. We all have to carry our cross of sin. But Jesus died on Calvary so that we could be forgiven, always forgiven, dear Lord. So thank you for the gift of life. Thank you, Father God, for sending your son to be our Lord and Savior. And we humbly, humbly ask you to be merciful and kind to us always, Father God, because we know you will and you have always stood on your word. So in the name of your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, amen, amen. Amen. And listener, our podcasts are available through Podby and um, anywhere where you download your local podcast. So uh, please listen to our podcast, feel free to leave comments, and stay tuned for our next podcast. See you soon. Have a nice night.